The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. We're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. I have Chris Kaufman here. I have Simon Clancy here. And this is Three Yards Per Carry, brought to you by the great folks at AutoNation. Since AutoNation is America's largest automotive retailer, chances are they have the vehicle you're looking for. Shop for over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sport utilities. From the luxury of a Mercedes-Benz to that Chevy pickup truck you always wanted, they've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every single year, and you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all stress-free. In addition to an extensive selection, all pre-owned vehicles go through a rigorous 125-point inspection and come with an everyday low, no-haggle price. One price, no pressure, guaranteed. Start your search right now at AutoNation.com. And of course, never forget, 8600 Pines Boulevard. That's where my guys are, Aldo Romero, Miguel DePaz. They'll be there waiting for you. Sell you a GM, sell you a Chevrolet. That new Camaro is beautiful, by the way. All right, guys. We got a new coach, allegedly, supposedly, reportedly. <laughs> Your thoughts. I'll go to you, Chris, first, since you seem to have done a little bit of research on Brian Flores. Your thoughts. It was typical. We 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 just start, we kind of settle on Chris Richard and we're like, oh yeah, let's get let's get Chris Richard. He's such a great coach. And and then we're like, you know, Brian Flores, I oh, you know, he's kind of boring, whatever. You know, and then it turns out to be Brian Flores, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> let's reset and think about this a little bit. When I when I started looking at Brian Flores, um number of weeks ago because he was he was on the I mean, as soon as the season ended within 24 hours they put together their list remember that and it was it was incredible that how fast they did it they must have already been thinking about this and Brian Flores was on there Mike Munchak was on there Vic Fangio was on there um, Eric Bieniemy and Chris Richard and we didn't know about Dennis Allen until Ross started taking off on the Ross copter and uh, and and flying different places or the the Ross jet and uh, and he flew to New Orleans and it's like, why? And it's like, Oh, Dennis Allen, that's not good. So anyway, the list starts being put together and I start researching it and, and Brian Flores, I thought initially had a very kind of sexy resume, sexy story in that he'd worked in scouting. He worked in special teams. He worked for on the offensive side of the ball. He worked on the defensive side of the ball. And I love personally. I've always loved that sort of cross training in a coach. I think it. I think it really benefits coaches 
to cross train in all those different areas uh, like that, especially scouting and coaching. And so I thought that was that's that's really cool about him. And then I started watching him. I started watching his interviews. I started watching his um, the YMCA speech, which has been circulating quite a bit. And that YMCA, I posted it to people. And I was like, try not to cry with this speech. I mean, this was this was fantastic. And um, and it was it was it was a really good speech and, a, and really heartfelt. And you got a lot of where he is as a person, where he where he comes from and what he's dealing with, with his family, you know, as far as his mom is concerned and her being sick and, um, and his, his being a, uh, his being like a a big brother, literally to, to his younger brother who's, who has autism. And, you know, it was, it was like a tearjerker, this, this video and all that aside though, as a coach, you're looking at the resume and you're like, it feels light. It feels like he's, he's been a defensive coordinator for, well, not even really because he's not a defensive coordinator. He's the linebackers coach. He's just calling the plays um, for one year. And I just don't know if that's enough. And, and he, I got the feeling, I kept getting the feeling like this is, it's not that he never will be ready. It's that maybe he's not quite ready right now. But the Dolphins don't need him to be ready right now because they've already said that 2019 doesn't matter and we're going to suck and it doesn't matter and we're not even going to keep score. So, um, so I think, you know, maybe that's, that's why the fit is. Like if he's not quite ready right now, uh, they don't care because they're looking long-term and they don't care about 2019. So um, that, that's kind of where I come out. Of Would we have preferred Chris Richard? Yes, I think it's safe to say that but to be honest and to be fair once Vic Fangio was tossed from the list by the Dolphins themselves then Brian Flores was number two for me because I'm not quite as hot on Eric Bieniemy as you know as some others so he was number two and number two ain't bad <laughs> Simon <laughs> yeah I'm with Chris I mean uh, and I know this sounds kind of churlish, but you kind of have to get behind the guy now. As people are like, oh, he, you know, he needs to be sacked, and he, I mean, he's not even been announced yet. So, I mean, you've got to give the guy an opportunity. I mean, I think he's got, you know, and certainly in talking to a couple of people, I think he's got huge potential. Uh, I think he's got experience and has cross-trained throughout um, the different aspects of the Patriots. So he's not just a coach. Obviously, he has experience in personnel and scouting. He's apparently a great communicator and excellent coach. But I think it's fair to say that even this year uh, looks like it's been a bit of a steep learning curve at defensive coordinator. And he, you know, he said so himself. Um, and I think I mentioned this last week on the, on the, on the pod, but the Patriots turnaround in terms of the defense sort of, they've been playing some of those amoeba fronts, which I think Bill Belichick reintroduced sort of the back end of the season. Uh, so Belichick has had a hand in the improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, they've got people back from injury, Devin McCourty uh, and people like that. I, I just wonder, you know, uh, and also that, look, the Dolphins is just not a great job, especially for a first-time head coach. So I think there are going to be issues. I am encouraged by the signs and the noises coming out of whoever it is that, uh, you know, the, the, whoever it is that's doing the leaking to Albert Breer and to Ian Rappaport and people like that in terms of the names of the potential coaches. I think Jim yes, Caldwell uh, I think Jim Caldwell is an excellent hire, um, not necessarily as an offensive coordinator, but more as an associate head coach, somebody that, that Flores can lean on, a Super Bowl winner, 
somebody that can, you know, just be there for him, can just, you know, advise him in those moments where he's not entirely sure what's going on. I think some of the other rumours, I think Brett Bielema would be a fascinatingly interesting hire on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think, um, you, you know, Mark, we talk, Chris and I talked in depth a little bit on our WhatsApp group about Mark Colombo last night. I think the linebacker coach of the Packers, I know is very highly rated um, and has been talked about as a potential defensive coordinator. Um, and and I think... That, what, no, it's Patrick... Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Watson, is it? Patrick Watson? No, okay. um, Who's done a great job with Blake Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you look at... It feels like they're going to bring in a younger offensive coordinator. And I know that the guy we talked again today about the wide receivers coach in the Patriots, uh, Chado Riley, Chado Robinson. Something, something like that. Yeah, who's the sort of very highly, again, very highly rated. But feels like his um, progress, I think, is a little bit stunted by the, you know, I think he feels like he's the, the offensive coordinator in waiting. And yet it doesn't seem like Josh McDaniels is going anywhere very suddenly. And really, it feels like McDaniels is now going to be the New England head coach when um, when Belichick retires. But that may not be for two, three, four seasons. So, you know, for Chad O'Shea to be the guy, the next guy, it almost feels like he's going to have to go somewhere else to be the, that next guy. The guy also, we've talked about Jim Bob Cooter, a very interesting coach, was tipped as a head coach 18 months ago, employed by, um, by Caldwell in Detroit, promoted by Caldwell in Detroit. So those sorts of noises encourage me. I, I think, look, he's going to have to be maybe not the X's and O's head coach that Adam Gaze was. He's going to have to be maybe a bit more of a sort of a, a CEO of the team in so much as anything. And that, you know, he's bringing in good guys. Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, it's very, it was encouraging to hear Greg Roman and Cliff Kingsbury talked about as offensive coordinators. That's Absolutely. outside the box. That's outside the box thinking. You know, it's not just guys that he knows that he's worked with. That you know, there will be an element of that, of course. You know, you do expect him to bring in a couple of people that he knows. Why wouldn't he? But also the fact that you know he gets in a room with the cognoscenti of the Dolphins, and he talks about two coaches that you know, one of whom Cliff Kingsbury is a you know, whatever we think about his appointment as a head coach in Arizona as an offensive coordinator, he'd be a fascinating OC. Same with Greg Roman, who was moved up from quarterbacks coach to head to offensive coordinator in Baltimore. So overall, I think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting. I, what will be more interesting is the managed decline, which I think is clearly, you know, I, I, I'm not somebody who believes in tanking as a thing, but there, there will clearly be a managed decline of the team because as Adam Schefter reported yesterday, they are aiming very squarely at 2020 and 2021 in terms of the draft. And one of those four or five quarterbacks, be it Trevor Lawrence in 21 or Tuatunga Vailoa or Jake Fromm or Justin Herbert, or Jordan Love, or, or whoever, over the next couple of seasons. That's clearly where they're aiming their marker at. Um, so we shall see. I'm, uh, listen, I'm all for, I wanted Chris Richard, but I'm all for getting behind Flores. I think he's very interesting. I wonder if it's just a little bit too soon. But I do think those names that we've just talked about really will help try and assimilate him a little bit more and get his feet under the table a little bit. But, you know, he's, he's almost got a mulligan this, this next season. Because nobody's expecting anything. Because, well, you kind of feel like that way. Because if they're leaking to the press, if they're leaking to Adam Sheffield that, you know, realistically we're aiming to draft two at Tonga Vala in 2020, well, it kind of feels like 2019's a bit of a mulligan. You know, you can get a bit of. No, exactly. You're going to get a bit of experience on the job. We don't really expect anything because you're getting the quarterback, you know, in 12 months' time, you'll have had a bit of experience, you'll have, you know, what it's all about. 
and then at that point we'll start to judge you and I, I kind of feel like that's the way it's going to go well we were kind of promised that they were going to do an exhaustive search at least that's what it sounded like as soon as Adam Gase got fired and it seems like they zeroed in on their guy pretty early and it's only two guys really conducting this whole search because I'm told that really nobody else is being consulted it's just Chris Greer and Stephen Ross and it seems like they zeroed in pretty early on on Brian Flores so I don't know if that's a good thing or a, or a bad thing but uh Chris come Chris on dude be, be be honest be honest you were pretty damning in your <laughs> disdain come on you don't sit on the fence now bud you know we're, we're good enough friends i think it's a terrible just... hire i'll be I'll thank be, you i'll be completely right. honest with you i think come it's out, terrible come out with it hire okay come on just go just go and, and, and i'll tell you why and i'll tell you why let uh, it fly <laughs> the guy leaves college and I, I'm, I'm all for you know leaving college and getting a job and, and showing mm-hmm. some loyalty but eventually you have to go get different experiences the only thing he knows on this earth, as far as like his employment history, is working for an organization that has maybe the best quarterback in the history of football and the best head coach in the history of football. Where's the adversity? Where is the learning curve, really? Like, what did he actually have to do to make the Patriots better? If Brian Flores had not existed for the last 14 years, the Patriots, I don't think, miss a beat. I still think they win their five Super Bowls. I still think Tom Brady is the first ballot unanimous Hall of Famer. And I still think that Bill Belichick is probably the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. So we've seen all these other guys fail from New England. And I'd hate to really saddle Brian Flores with that because he's his own man. And everything we've heard is that he's different from the others. And when I say the others, we're talking about a lot of people, including Bill O'Brien, who is essentially throwing away the life, the, the lifeblood of a great defense and a generational quarterback in Deshaun Watson because he'll be fired soon because that team is underachieving, by the way, in Houston. So he'll be the last one. And then we're getting Brian Flores, and he's supposed to be his own man. He's supposed to be different. But where's the evidence? All we have is history, and history tells us they all fail. And they all fail because essentially they do not matter. It doesn't you can't, matter. You can't judge him on, you can't judge you on history. That's not his fault. I mean, Bill no, O'Brien did a tremendous job at Penn State. You can't, you can't judge, you can't judge O'Brien's in inverted commas failings, or you know, uh, what's his name in the the defensive coordinator now in in um, Matt Patricia. You can't his first year failings. Josh, you can't. Josh McDaniels has personal failings, like personality failings, yeah. really got in the way in Denver. And I wonder, like you know, we're talking about a couple of guys. That are, that are being chided right now, especially as you're talking about like Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia, they're mostly being chided or criticized for personal failing, like personality type failings with Matt Patricia and, yeah. and his, his being late for meetings and, and, um, and Josh McDaniels and you know, the, the whole train wreck he was from a personality standpoint in Denver. That's a personality thing. That's like a personal makeup thing. That's not like a tree thing. And I'm just, I get so sick of this whole tree discussion stuff. But, I mean, how long are you really going to hold guys like uh, Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell against against somebody like Brian Flores, who has, you know, nothing to do with it? It's, it's also, really 
It's Cornell, tough. It reminds me of the Jeff Tedford thing. Remember quarterbacks? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's not going to be a Jeff Ted, Tedford quarterback. And then, oops, Aaron Rodgers. You know, uh, yeah, so. Could be the greatest yeah. of all time. But, does but it also, Romeo Cornell, Romeo Cornell is one of the best defensive coordinators of the last 10 years. Yeah, you just talked sure. about that generational defense in Houston. Well, the guy who's running it is Romeo Cornell. I mean, you can't, we can't, it's, we can't have our cake and eat it too, right? And, you know, McDaniels, for example, there was a Albert Breer wrote a piece today where he interviewed Brian Guttenkunz, the, the GM at Green Bay. Josh McDaniels was nowhere near getting that job in Green Bay. Everybody talked about him as the favourite. He wasn't even on the shortlist in the end of the guys that they interviewed. I mean, it came down to Todd Munkin and, um, and Matt LaFleur, but even Guttenkunz admitted that McDaniels was nowhere near getting the job. So, you know, I mean, the three most important people in, that new, in the entire New England era have been Bill Belichick, Dante Scarnacchia, the offensive line coach, oh, and, yeah. and McDaniels. And actually, I think there's a pretty decent gap between Belichick and Scarnacchia and everybody else. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I just think we're kind of prisoners of the moment if we start saying that Brian Flores is, you know, is going to be damned because of the history of what's come out of New England in the, in the past. Now, what, what would you say to, to this? Uh, my point of contention, which is that He's only really coached there. That's all he knows is that ideal situation. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to a place that's 180 degrees different. And he's going to have to adjust. And he's going to have to manage personalities, including the owner. Okay? He's going to have to work with a Chris Greer, hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Isn't this a, a too steep of a learning curve to, to really – digest and what's going to be maybe a one, two year build toward some type of contention. It, it could be for anybody though, but, um, but for him in particular, yeah, I get what you're saying. One organization the entire time, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of that going around. Like we talk about Chris Richard who became a favorite of ours and it was really just that one Seattle organization, the entire, for his entire career for the most part. Uh, and, and then he had, he's had, less than a year really of outside of experience in in Dallas since then so I, I'm not sure I'm not sure how much of an advantage he has versus them what I'll say is like at least it's the right organization because I don't buy you know this thing that it's just all Tom Brady when I see Tom Brady go down with an ACL for an entire year and Matt Castle has to be their quarterback and they still go 11 and 5 then I don't think it's all Tom Brady. You know what I mean? When I see their defense in the top 10 year after year of points and points allowed and other efficiency matchers like this year, they're, they're fourth in turnover percentage um, uh, and they're fourth in, uh, fourth in penalties given up – or sorry, first downs given up by penalty and they're like seventh in scoring. And this is, these are typical results of the, the New England Patriots defense – and yet you look at how they're staffed and what, what kind of talent they have on the defense. We've all, we've all definitely critiqued it and, uh, all over the years and talked about how they don't really have anybody and, and stuff like that. And yet they still achieve these results on defense year after year. That's not Tom. Tom Brady doesn't play safety. I mean, so I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's just Tom Brady. And, and so I would say at least this guy was raised in this, whereas some other guys like, say, Charlie Weiss and – and, and some other guys have been in and out of the organization, maybe were part of it for a couple of years. Eric Mangini was part of it for, for a couple of years. 
Um, this guy was raised in the organization and has been there for 15 years. So if you really do want to bring some of the blueprints from that organization with you, which let's face it, this is the most successful franchise in the NFL history. I mean, that's what they are because they've achieved the most, the most impressive results at a time when it is literally the hardest it's ever been to do that. I would argue that besides the San Antonio Spurs, it's the most successful organization for a longer period of time in the history of pro sports. I, I think I, I'd, I'd agree with you because of the Maybe salary. Real Madrid. May, uh, Simon could speak to that a little bit better. Maybe okay. Real Madrid has had a little That's, bit more success. Yeah. yeah, I don't know anything about that. But I, I, I would say that because it's the salary cap era and it has literally been gamed, the system has been gamed to drag everybody back to hell after they <laughs> – Yes. After they they succeed for a little bit, Meanwhile, uh, we have so at, at least it's that organization. Number one seed versus number two seed. And, <laughs> it may be it may be that um, it may be that he's only been part of one organization, but it's the right organization. I th I think. Yeah. And and so you know yeah, there is some hope there. And ultimately, I still think it comes down to the guy's own makeup. I mean, say what you want about the trees and blah blah blah. Um, I think it's the the guy's own makeup. And he doesn't have to me. He doesn't have the same stink that the other Patriots uh, assistants have as far as their, you know, my way or the highway, you know, air, ultra arrogance, you know, that sort of thing. And this guy doesn't have that. He doesn't seem like he has that. And he's very well respected by the players. He's well respected by everybody. Um, and I think that there's, there's a reason that, you know, kind of a, a quieter, like um, soft-spoken guy like Chris Greer is attracted to him. Now, will yeah. he be so, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to use the, the, the term passive, but, you know, will he be so soft-spoken that he's just, you know, a little bit too laid back as a coach? Well, I don't necessarily get that either because the guy is a hard-ass from Brownsville, New York, and, you know, saw more shit uh, growing up than we can even imagine. And, um, and you know, he's, he's known as a yeller to his players in practice. Like, he's – like, yeah, he, he does – he does coach them pretty pretty hard that way. So I don't know. I don't. I don't see. I don't see him that same entitled attitude out of those out of him as I do some of those other guys. And that's what it looks like to me often with those guys is entitled. And and that's um, I don't really get that off of Brian Flores. And I think the personal makeup, you know, makes the story. That's that's what makes what helps make whether a head coach is successful or not. He's got to be given the chance. Ultimately, hasn't he? He's got to be yeah. given the same chance that we gave Adam Gaze. And realistically, he's going to get more time than Adam Gaze. He's, like we've just said, he's going to get a mulligan his first year. Yeah. And then he's going to get a quarterback. And it's going to be his quarterback. And, you know, he's going to be give, handed the keys to something shiny and new. Sure. And we suspect that, you know, we know that there is talent on this team. There are players on this team that are talented and will grow. Fitzpatrick, Howard, Tunsil, Drake, all those guys. Wilson the linebackers, all those kind of kids. We we suspect, and we'll talk about it later, I'm sure, but, you know, we suspect that the team will probably ignore Kyler Murray in the first round of the draft. They may they may not, but you suspect that they will. Probably. And they'll look to but they'll look to build the offensive and defensive lines through through free agency and through the draft. So that they are in a position in a year's time where all of a sudden you look around, you think, blimey, this team really has got some decent talent on it. Oh, and now we're going to throw for argument's sake, to a tongue of Iler into the mix. Blimey, okay, now you look to, you know, these guys have had a year's experience, they've had a year's struggle. 
there's some leaders emerging, there's some talent emerging that, you know, and all of a sudden they're, they're ready to smack a few people in the mouth. He's going to get that opportunity. If in three, four years' time, he's struggling despite having the quarterback, then clearly he wasn't the guy. But I just feel like you've got to afford him the opportunity to prove that he can be that person. And I just don't think you can necessarily say, chuck him in the corner and say, just because he's coming out of an organisation where, A, they've been incredibly successful, but B, they haven't trained on elsewhere, means that he's somehow not up to the task because I just don't think that's fair. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe time will, will, will prove that he wasn't a very good choice and Chris Richard goes on to be a Super Bowl winning head coach somewhere else and we'll have screwed it up again. Um, but that remains to be seen. Well, it seems like One. Chris Richard is not going to coach anywhere else other than the Dallas Cowboys next year. But yeah. my argument for Chris Richard, and we're running out of time here in the first half of the show, my argument for Chris Richard is that he was really going to help what is essentially our most talented unit, which is our secondary, because we might have our two best players there, at least our best young player in Minka Fitzpatrick and our best player period in Xavier Howard. What unit do you think Brian Flores can help flourish going forward? Is it the linebackers? Because that's where he's had the most experience with Chris. I think the defensive backs in, in particular, because remember he is also like he's involved with the Patriots defense. First off, he has coached defensive backs before. I mean, he's got a strong relationship with Devin McCourty and uh, you know, he's been on special teams and he, I mean, he, he's part of that Patriots defense, which uses dime, you know, six defensive backs, uses quarter, seven defensive backs. Frequently they're, they bring an intelligent approach to personnel packaging, which you, you've already impressed me if you're going to bring that there because I've been begging for it for a long time uh, for them to actually make intelligent decisions about the the down and distance in certain situation and the tendency of the the team that you're that you're facing and bring different body types in onto the field according to not not players like matt burke and i don't have a sixth defensive back that i trust but i do have a third defensive back or third linebacker that i trust no i'm talking about body types that have different strengths and weaknesses different speed and agility profiles and you, you put those different body types on the field according to the circumstance and the demands of the circumstance and the requ- the required return that the uh, the offense has. You can you can you can game this as defense. And I've been begging for them to do it forever. And he brings that approach with him. So right away, I think that he's going to help the secondary because of that because of, because of that approach. But the other thing I want to point that I want to make is one and reiterate is one that Simon has already sort of made is. You know, when Adam Gase got in here, we were all excited. You know, this was a sexy hire, right? We were all excited. But it didn't take very long for the shine to come off of that one for me. Because then he started hiring his assistant coaches, and it looked like he was just bringing his friends along from everywhere. And some of, the, some of those friends, you know, like Chris Furster, looked like disasters waiting to happen to me. And, and, so, and sure enough, he was. And so the, the, shine, the shine came off him immediately, whereas Brian Flores – I kind of entered it like a little bit, you know, just like you, just like you guys, or maybe not quite as much as you, Alf, but like kind of blah. And then almost immediately he started impressing me because Simon, you mentioned the names that are coming out, the guys that he's looking to hire as assistants, Brett Bielema and uh, Jim Caldwell and Cliff Kingsbury and Greg Roman and stuff like that. You're hearing all these names and you're like, these are not guys that he roomed with in college you know these are not guys that you know he that that are connected with him that he's reaching not some mediocre name from somewhere that you know he happened to have he happened to be facebook friends with 
Okay. Yeah. He's just going out there and getting and looking at guys that are impressive to him. And I think that that is impressive to me. And it didn't take very long for him to do that. Boys, I've got to interrupt. It's time for break. We should be back shortly. We'll discuss more about these potential coaching hires. But first, this. Hey, everybody. Seth Levitt and OJ McDuffie of The Fish Tank here, but we're not diving in with a great story right now. Instead, we want to tell you about an incredibly fun upcoming charity event benefiting the Jason Taylor Foundation. That's right, Big Seth. Wiffle Blast. Man, I can't wait. I know you're fired up, Juice. The third annual Wiffle Blast presented by Funky Buddha Brewery and Sports Chiropractic and Natural Health Solutions will take place on Saturday, January 19th at Pine Trails Park in Parkland. Man, you guys do a great job with this event. I played last year with my son and a couple friends, and we really had a blast from the competition to the home run derby to the kid zone it was just a perfect day from start to finish do i still have time to get my team in yeah we got you juice we still have room for a few more teams as well and since the five reasons sports network is a media partner for the event the foundation is offering 100 off the cost of a team if you use they the have code. a team yeah they have a team ethan and those guys i mean there's some studs on that i can't roster. wait to play them we'll put you guys in the same division All right, that's what's up so we're gonna put five reasons and juice in the same division and if you sign up now you can be in that division as well and get a hundred dollars off the cost of a team if you use the code five reasons that's the number five reasons and the best part of it all oj is that your donation will help support children battling cancer as well as pediatric emergencies yeah you know that's what matters most absolutely it is for more information visit jasontaylorfoundation.org or call 954-424-0799 ethan get that arm warmed up this is the five reasons sports network miami sports on demand we now have 15 podcasts in the network covering every professional sports team in South Florida and much more, all absolutely free. Find all of our shows on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. If you just can't get enough, become a member of our patron feed and you'll get even more exclusive content. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear on the upcoming episode of our newest show, The Chamber Podcast. We're now joined by Dr. Peter Marciante. There's a local sports team down here hampered by injuries right now. If a team is ravaged by injuries, how much do you put of that into the training staff and the physical therapist? Unfortunately, I put a lot on it. Now what they've done is they've they've blocked out all external doctors to have total control, and I'm not sure it's working that well but there needs to be a little more freedom and guys need to be also take charge in, in their own health care they can't just go to a team who's trying to manage 100 players if you're interested in advertising your business on any of our podcasts reach out to us at number five reason sports on twitter to stay up to date with all of our shows enter five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe So enough of that. Back to the discussion. You had Coach Brian Flores. I can't say Brian Flores without tripping over it. That's going to be fun. Is that, a, is that a British few thing? Weeks. I don't think so. I just think it's an idiot thing. No. Um, <laughs> limited. You, yeah, limited. I mean, that's Mental, limited, limited mentally, obviously. That's me. Um, I'm still dining out on that, by the way. Whoever you are, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. So, I mean... One of the guys that interests me and uh, is Brett Bielema. Don't forget, you know, if you don't know this, 2011, he interviewed for the head coaching position with the Dolphins, um, the job that eventually went to Joe Philbin. And he was not refused the job, but I suppose he was turned down because the Dolphins couldn't get on board with somebody who he wanted to draft, Christopher. Um, a man by the name of Russell Wilson. Whatever happened to him? Uh, he, he was too short. He busted out of the league, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine Russell Wilson's the Dolphins? Yeah. 
first he said he said he said and and so so goes the story he said not only do we need we must have russell wilson but we will be in the super bowl within a few Mm. years if if you get wilson and nobody part of that yeah (laughs) jeff ireland i guess you know i and, and i'm not sure how much of this is official reporting and how much of this is like rumor. Um, but Matthew Canada, Canada, who we've talked about before, he's, he's fleshed out this story on Twitter. He says that supposedly Jeff Ireland scolded him and was like, well, that's the difference between college and, and the pros. And yeah. you just don't know. Well, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, look, going back to the interesting one, one other interesting thing before we get into some more of the coaches about Brian Flores is that he's going to be given a quarterback. So actually it doesn't really matter that much how good he is because as we've discussed before it's all that yes i mean you can you can be a great coach and not have a quarterback and therefore you can't really see your greatness but you can be a sort of average coach i mean i don't think sean payton is an amazing head coach i think he's a pretty decent play constructor as a a, as an offensive coach. i don't think he's a great head coach mike tomlin is not a great head coach he's certainly not a very good in-game head coach yeah he's won two super bowls you know i don't think you have to be an amazing head coach to, to win in this league, if you've got a good, uh, if you've got a really good to great quarterback, mm-hmm. and but if we are put, if we're putting bring a, something to the table, oh, of course, absolutely. You, you, but if you are competent, and you know you can communicate with players, and look, winning cures a lot of evils, cures a lot of ills with a team. You know, if you've got a quarterback, then I think you, you know you can be a C plus, B minus head coach, and you can still be a winner in this league. Talk, talk to us about Mark Colombo a bit, boys, because yesterday I tweeted about the fact that Colombo was going to come in, and then loads of people were like, "Oh my God, he was the worst guard in the history of the team." We can't, you can't be serious about this. We just think, I mean, Doug Peterson once threw eight interceptions and two touchdowns in a season, <laughs> and the dude just won the Super Bowl, and he's, yeah. you know, he almost—if it wasn't for Alshon Jeffries, the big hole in his hands—he probably would have taken. The, yeah, the Eagles would be in the NFC Championship game next week, so. Uh, his ability as a player is utterly irrelevant to his ability as a coach. He took over on October 29th. He was promoted there uh, when Paul Alexander was fired. The team then went five and two, went on a run. The sack numbers went down significantly. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's yardage, running yardage went significantly up. And yet he did it without Tyron Smith, who's been injured all year and missed a number of games. Travis Frederick, who's been out the entire year. Uh, and Zach Martin, who's missed one game but been banged up significantly and with a you know very average Lyle Collins. So, you know, Colombo looks to have a decent future uh, ahead of him if, if the back end of the season is anything to go by his contract is coming to an end that's why he can potentially make the move but a, a good hire potentially well I, I first off I was a little bit I was a little bit unimpressed just because the first thing I hear about him and the reason that he's going to join Miami is um, because he was teammates with Brian Flores at Boston College and I'm like oh here we go you know, um, yeah. So, so that that impre- that was not impressive to me. Uh, that that he would the thought that he would be getting the job here in Miami because of that. And but I also had to sort of challenge my thinking a little bit and look at who is available, who is available on the offensive line, and also what has this guy done? Because part of the reason that I didn't like Chris Furster is because when you get right down to it, he didn't coach very good. He coached offensive lines that were not very good a lot for much of his career. Uh, but this guy, you know, he takes over for uh, an offensive line coach 
who did not, it was a one year hire, less than a year. He was fired partway through the year. Clearly wasn't working out. There were talk about like the techniques that he was teaching the guys were far too passive. And, um, and they wanted, they wanted somebody to come in and, and really teach the guys to be more active and be more, and be more aggressive in their blocking. And that was Colombo, you know, that was, so uh -huh. he, he, he did that and he, he did it well. And it's sort of like the way he's described is like the Dan Campbell of offensive line coaches. And I think that works for an offensive line coach. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so I, you know, and I don't care about his playing history. What I do care about is that he was trained as a player and as a coach by Hudson Houck. And that is mm. a big deal. Yes. And so you ha you're looking on a guy that had the right training as well as a guy that, you know, has the enthusiasm that you're looking for and a guy that took over an offensive line that was kind of struggling with some new techniques and, um, and stuff that, that wasn't working for them and instituted some other stuff that really did work out for them a whole lot better. Now, here's something that, that kind of concerns me. He is leading Hudson Hawk again because Hudson Hawk is a consultant there yeah. with Dallas mm -hmm. Cowboys. So this is essentially going to be the first time that he's going to handle a unit by himself. And Could be, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that, if I, I would say that that's kind of concerning considering that that's our, our weakest unit really on the, mm -hmm. on the entire team. But what does make me a little bit, I don't know. It, it, it warms my heart a little bit is that a very calming influence like Jim Caldwell is connected to this hire mm -hmm. of Brian Flores. And if he comes along, I start to feel a lot better about things because he essentially can be that guy. Not to say that Brian Flores, you know, won't know what to do and you'll be, you'll be there on the job the day one saying, Oh my God, am I, am I really in charge of all this? Yeah. But Jim Caldwell can be a guy that can hold his hand a little bit, guide him through the ropes. You know, the guys he coached in the Super Bowl, So mm -hmm. yeah, Jim Caldwell, if he comes on board, I start to feel a whole lot better about this. I don't know yeah, what you think about it. I mean, and to go, to go back to Colombo just real quick, um, you know, the Hudson Hawk, he is going to, to split off from Hudson Hawk. But think about what we've been dealing with in Miami for the last three years with Chris Furster and, and some of the things that have been happening the entire time, even when Furster was – was coaching the so-called unicorns in Miami as far as not being able to pick up stunts, not being able to pick up blitzes. Um, you have Chris Furster and his underlings because Jeremiah Washburn is very much a Chris Furster underling, all right, versus a Hudson Hawk underling. I'd rather have the Hudson Hawk underling yeah. than the Chris Furster underling. I don't know about you. Mm -hmm. I've got a bit of breaking coaching news for you uh, regarding the Dolphins. Um, although it's a bit of outward coaching news. Chris Kaczurek has become the defensive line coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, he did not follow Gase. He did not follow Gase. He's gone to the 49ers. So he and, if you saw, and if you saw that press Buckner. today, nobody's following, <laughs> nobody's following Gase. Unless, maybe, maybe the police will follow Gase. <laughs> he must be on crystal meth. Um, uh, interestingly, um, interesting, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in this Patrick Graham guy, the, the guy who's tipped as the potential defensive coordinator, run game coordinator. So obviously, you know, the, the work of Kenny Clark and Blake Martinez in behind with the Packers was there at the Giants for two years previously, worked with Jason Pierre-Paul and obviously Snacks Harrison. Um, mm. And then spent a number of years, I think 2000 and, 2009 to 2015 with the Patriots. Um, 
was the team's linebacker coach there two years as a defensive line coach, three years as linebacker coach. Um, he looks a very interesting dude and he would also give us, and I know this doesn't matter, but it kind of does matter and it kind of is important. If, if we have Van Flores as head coach, we will have a black general manager, a black head coach, and then Graham would be a black defensive coordinator, which I think is a good thing. It's to be embraced. It's, you know, um, he does have an impressive resume, lots of interesting players that he's dealt with. And you look at some of the numbers, especially with the regards to the linebacking unit that he had in, in, in New England um, in terms of, you know, their ability. Jamie Collins' best season was under him. He was an all-pro under uh, under Graham, obviously Gerard Mayo, Dante Hightower. You know, that's some serious talent he's had at his, you know, at his fingertips, as it were. And I think he's, uh, you know, even you take guys like Rob Ninkovich and the, the way he turned his career around, um, albeit with PEDs, but um, <laughs> alleg- <laughs> allegedly. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. Again, another interesting guy who looks like he has some, some proper coaching talent there. Now, one guy who I find kind of interesting that he's signed on because we were waiting for Chris Greer to have his own underling, it's Marvin Allen. Like, this is a guy that's pretty I was oh, yeah, qualified yeah. to be general manager somewhere yeah and now he's going to be you wonder why he's not because he is that qualified yes Mm. i would say so too now what do you envision chris to be his responsibility do you think he's going to be like the new chris greer kind of responsible for the draft or is he just going to be a glorified uh regional scout direct scouting direct yeah i i I think it is going to be like that because if you look at chris greer i mean we're seeing sort of and I know that you've actually got some qualms about this, but we're seeing sort of the Chris Greerization of this organization, which means oh, yeah, that it's he, his show. It's his yeah. show and nobody else's. And, and which means that he is stepping up into that role that, you know, Mike Tannenbaum was supposed to play and that Bill Parcells played once upon a time. Uh, so Chris Greer really is stepping forward into that role. And I think that he does need a top, you know, sort of a top lieutenant, uh, you know, director of college scouting, that sort of thing to um, that he can rely on in scouting. And this Marvin Allen has a very good reputation. I've I've seen guys talking about in the league around the league that are like, you know, he steps into Miami. He is immediately the best scout that they have there. That that's, you know, that, and they've, they've talked about, you get the feeling actually that there's not a whole lot of respect for what Miami has down there, which uh, is a little disconcerting. Um, But yeah, he steps in and he's immediately comes in with these great references from Kansas city and where he, where he's able to, he was part of drafting Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and, um, and Chris Conley and Chris Jones and and all these, Mm -hmm. all these wonderful players and that they have Marcus having... Peters. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Marcus Peters, but um, even, you know, the Marcus Peters, Kansas city years was, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, you, you could know. talk potential hall of fame curve in terms of the turnovers yeah. that he produced in that time. So, well, you know, well, much as we joke about Peters and his LA form actually prior to that pretty special. Yeah. And well said. And, and he was part of that. He's part of drafting all that. And then, you know, before that with the Atlanta Falcons, yeah, I think that there, I think Armando Saguero of the Miami Herald uh, kind of chided the pick a little bit and, uh, or Marvin Allen a little bit. And he tried to make it seem like uh, he went with Scott Pioli from the Patriots over to the, the Kansas City Chiefs. That's not, that's actually backwards. That's not true. He went from the, the New England Patriots where he was for 16 years and overlapped with both Chris Greer when he was with the Patriots and Brian Flores when he was with the Patriots uh, on the scouting staff. So he worked with Marvin Allen as a scout. You know, he overlapped with them. He went straight from there to the Atlanta Falcons. And then he was hired on by John Dorsey in Kansas City. 
So um, he was, and then he was part of that, you know, building, building that Kansas city team that is in the AFC championship and that we hope will destroy the Patriots this weekend. So, so he has a really impressive resume and I think that he's going to be the guy that serves as like the Chris Greer to Chris Greer now being the executive in charge of things. And, um, and, and I, I actually wonder about like Adam Engroff cause he had a good reputation. Adam Engroff yeah. did. He became the college, the director of college scouting under Chris Greer and now, I mean, which is the number, essentially the number two position. And now there is an explicit assistant GM being brought in in Marvin Allen. And you wonder if, like, you know, maybe, maybe Engroff might be a little mad at that and maybe he just wants to go somewhere else. But he's got yeah. a good reputation. So that was the first concern that I had. But otherwise, this is a great move. Now, let me ask you this, Simon. We know for a fact over years and years, first, first it was just – rumor and innuendo but it was kind of borne out that chris greer has a severe sec bias when it comes to scouting what do we know about marvin allen especially as far as a quarterback which is going to be priority number one i would say does he have a track record that we can point to big 12 um, bias big 12 but yeah i was gonna say i mean patrick mahomes i mean i can't think of a, a quarterback that he's drafted apart from pat mahomes um well this he year just, he was part he must have been part josh of, allen of course yeah, yeah. Josh Allen, um, and then where was he before Kansas City? He was in Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta so before 2013. Yes, yeah, so I know Matt Ryan. Um, I haven't brought in anybody else up there in terms. Of, no, I, I mean I don't think it's necessarily an an SEC buy. You look at some of the players that he brought into KC. I mean, what West Coast for for Marcus Peters, Tyree Kill? No, not SEC. Chris Jones, no. Um, I mean, I don't think there's necessarily a huge SEC bias there. I mean, certainly you look at um, you look at some of the you know big time defensive line prospects in this draft, and you know the Jeffrey Simmonses, the Jack Eye Polites, those guys. And there's some SEC talent that certainly Greer might be able to get behind if that's the path that they're going to go down. But I don't think necessarily um, there's a quarterback bias for for Mr. Allen in terms of. Um, in terms of the Southeastern Conference. But it will be interesting to see next year when you have Jake Fromm and potentially Tua Tungavailoa, whether or not the SEC bias does bear fruit or whether or not, you know, because it, it's clear that the Dolphins have invested an awful lot of time in, in Justin Herbert and that Mike Tannenbaum had gone to see Herbert an awful lot. And I assume Greer had seen him a bit as well, whether or not, you know, they plump for him over, over one of the other two if they get the opportunity to do so. But I suspect not, but we shall see. Tony Pauline. Tony Pauline, uh, actually, sorry to interrupt. Uh, Tony Pauline has said that um, that the Dolphins are onto Jordan Love as well. Uh, oh, good. That's interesting. For whatever for whatever that's worth, uh, he mentioned it. You know, this whole tanking for 2020 thing. Uh, he said he brought up Tua Tagovailoa and and also Justin Herbert, but he says that the Dolphins in particular also really like Jordan Love. And I thought that was really interesting because I have looked at him a whole lot, mm. and I do have a great deal of respect for him. I think he's a I think he's a first round quarterback if he continues the progression. And and the good thing about him is that you know much of the national media and most fans don't have a clue who he is. A because he plays for Utah State, and B because nobody really watched you know West Coast team that yep. ends up kicking off at midnight almost on the East Coast, so nobody really ends <laughs> up seeing him. And he's going to be one of those under the radar kids that all of a sudden you know you get to this time next year and people are like, oh Jordan. You know, I'm, I'm glad that the team are, 
all over him. If you really look at it in a vacuum, does Drew Brees have more arm strength than Ryan Tannehill? No. Is he a better athlete than Ryan Tannehill? No. Is he a better size than <laughs> Ryan Tannehill? No. So what does he have that Ryan Tannehill obviously does not have? And I think it's anticipation. Yeah, mental processing as well. I think. Sure. And the guy that I'm really getting turned on to as far as this year's draft is Easton Stick. If you watch him, we're going to talk about him later on, you know, in the offseason. I'm pretty sure we might even devote an entire show to him. But he's kind of popping to me right now as far as the quarterback prospects. I don't know. Struggled, struggled a bit today, Chris, didn't he, at this shrine practice? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I, I, I watched him, and uh, there are six quarterbacks in, in practice. Uh, and what you can say is since most of them all struggled, he was probably the second best quarterback of the six. Uh, the best was clearly Brett Rippon, though, of Boise State. And that's not the best prospect necessarily, but he had the best day. I think Easton Stick came from the FCS, came to this uh, this new you know environment with um, with all these, these players and coaches and onlookers and stuff. And quite honestly, he, he just missed some balls. It, it looked like he was nervous. And so uh, he was doing nervous things like, you know, turfing a throw, turfing a throw that he, you know he could have hit or um, or fumbling a, uh, a shotgun snap. He's taken shotgun snaps, you know, plenty of times in his uh, in his time at North Dakota State. So um, so he's doing he, he just had a few nervous moments. Otherwise, he executed the offense pretty well. He did really w- well that way. He can clearly run around. He can make miss, guys miss in the backfield, although in, in this setting, when a guy gets in the backfield, they just blow it dead. So they don't let him make the guy miss in the backfield. So a little bit, a little bit of up and down day. I think Brett Rippon, all I'd say is really Brett Rippon had a good day and nobody else really had a great day like that. So I don't think that I'd say he struggled necessarily, but I I like him. I like him a lot too, Al, for all the reasons you talk about. Simon, I know you love him too. Um, And you, you were, you probably were onto him probably the first of the three of us. So I think that, um, I think what the things that I would note about him is that he's got NFL arm strength. Like this mm. is the measurable thing and it's there. Okay. It's, it's right there. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not where Drew Locke is in this draft or where in the NFL, for example, where guys like Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, uh, the strongest arms in the league, essentially the, the, the biggest velocity guys in the league. It's not where those guys are, but it is where everybody else is in the league. And, and for example, Ryan Tannehill, who has always been noted as having a great, great arm strength. Mm. He's, Stick has every bit of the velocity of Ryan Tannehill. He has the same sort of velocity that you see from Deshaun Watson, who has good, who has good throw velocity and, and that kind of arm talent. So he's got arm talent. He definitely does. He's also really athletic and he runs around and he, he does a lot of things that way. He's at times he is his team's most prolific rusher. I mean, especially mm-hmm. in like in the playoffs this year, they had a game where all their running backs got hurt. And so they just called Easton stick run plays all day and he ran all over them. Uh, so I think that, um, that he's, he's got a great, if you look at it on a pure skill set basis, arm, and feet, you know, athleticism, then you would actually compare him to a smaller version of Andrew Luck. And I, I say that advisedly. I was, I was as much as, as high an Andrew Luck as anybody was, but Andrew Luck did not necessarily have a Patrick Mahomes arm. Okay. Andrew Luck had a pro arm, definitely a starter, a starter's arm talent, 
and he also could run around and gain first downs and do things with his legs. Well, that's Easton Stick too. The only difference is Andrew Luck was like six foot four and two thirty five. Easton Stick is he's listed six foot two and two twenty. I haven't gotten the official weigh-in data from today yet. We'll see how big he is. He's definitely smaller though. So he's got the same legs and arm as a luck, but not necessarily the same size. All right, two pieces of news. Uh, first of all, let's since we're on the sh- uh, the Shrine game, Trevor Sycama of Draft Network, and also the Pewter Report. He's a Buccaneers Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, beat reporter. Reports that the Dolphins met with offensive lineman Lamont Gillard and quarterback Jordan Ta'amu. Uh, is that how you would pronounce his name? Ta'amu, okay. yeah. Okay. Malik Carney and did Brett you, Ripping, of course. Did you get up close with Guyard, Chris? Because he's, he's one of the two offensive line, uh, the two centers, the other being the kid at Mississippi State, who I think are intriguing. Um, Elgin Jenkins is the Mississippi State kid. Um, I wondered if you saw Guyard and I wonder what you thought. Well, I saw I saw Guy, Guyard, uh, Guyard uh, and actually... Um, I'm familiar with him from Georgia because I do think he might be the best center in the draft. Um, it's it's very possible. He's uh, depending on where you put Dalton Risner of uh, of Kansas State yeah. uh, and whether he played because ta- he's played everything. He's played tackle. He's played center. Um, Guyard is a, a really intriguing talent, and he was decent today. But they played him a lot also at guard today. So, um, so it's kind of like cross training back and forth. And at guard, there were times when, you know, somebody gets the outside shoulder on them in the pit drills or something like that. It's, it's hard to tell until they get into the, to the real game simulation itself. I, I, I will say this on the East squad, if you're looking at the offensive linemen, um, the guys that really stood out, you know, from the jump and the way that they're built, and the way that they move and then the way that they block, which was fantastic, is first you would go with um, you would go with uh, Morgan State uh, Josh Miles. Mm-hmm. And he's he's I don't know what he actually weighed in at, but he's listed at six foot six and three hundred and ten pounds. That guy is a man and he moves extremely well for that for that frame. I mean the, the frame is built just right and he moves well for it. And also he blocked really hard and, and showed explosiveness. He's a guy that's gonna go to the combine and have a feeling he's going to do pretty well for himself there the other is ethan greenage of villanova uh listed six foot four and 335 you know so he's a he's a big boy uh but he he also moved well he played a lot of left tackle uh while um while miles josh miles played a lot of left guard and uh and the the two of them on that left side were fantastic together uh so so those those are the guys i'm looking at right away aside from lamont guyard um but then there's some other guys there there are times that I, i've got to take a look a closer look at uh, trey pipkins of sioux falls i don't get a, yeah. a lot of sioux falls stuff um but on the west squad there was a, there were some times that you know that guy looked like a man uh and and so i i really want to uh to take a, a closer look there but those are the offensive linemen um you know, I'm not surprised that they would look at Jordan uh, Taimu uh, or Brett Rippon. Um, I would be surprised if they did not talk to Easton Stick. Did you know that Easton Stick, he's, he, he signed on with Rep One Sports. Uh, the agents are, you know, those guys represent guys like Ben Roethlisberger and uh, Jared Goff and, and Marcus Mariota, Carson Wentz, uh, some really big name guys in the in the the whole uh, NFL, but they also meant they also uh, manage David fails and Luke Falk. 
Okay. It's, it's like yeah you look on their their list and it's all these starters and all these like great quarterbacks and then they have like a few backups uh one of them being cj bethard and and then the other two are david fails and luke falk and you're like the future uh, the future quarterbacks of the miami dolphins you mean <laughs> <laughs> all right before we talk a little bit more football uh another piece of news which is getting very short thrift here locally and i think it should be blaring front page news and that's darren rizzi is going to the green bay packers for an interview with matt lafleur simon what do you make of it and do you think that he's essentially gone would you try to keep him? probably not actually i mean he's been great a great servant a great coach but i kind of feel like it's time it's you know i mean if he stays great that's that's great but i suspect the fact that dolphins allowing him to go and do interviews pretty much tells you all you need to know about whether or not he'll be here or not. I mean, clearly, um, clearly it didn't work out in Green Bay for, um, uh, God, what's his name? Ron, uh, what should we call it? Uh, I can see his face as clear as day, but anyway, but, and he's been sacked now. And, uh, you know, I, I would suspect that Rizzi will be gone, whether it's Green Bay or somewhere else, but I think that's it for him. And I think we will herald a new era of special teams coaches in Miami. I just don't, I just don't think that you allow a guy to go and interview if you, if you're going to go and, it's if you're going to bring him back. Ron, Ron Zook. Yeah, that's yes. right. Yeah. yeah. I think he's gone. Yeah. Chris, I like Darren Rizzi quite a bit and I think that he deserved the interview for the coach position. I, I don't know that I would be all about him, you know, like we cannot, we cannot, we cannot lose him the way I would say Dave Taub of, uh, of Kansas city. Um, you know, that sort of special teams coach. I think Rizzy's been good. I think he's been a, a good special teams guy, but um, you know, if he, if he has to go, he has to go. Yeah. He's a good special teams coach. He's, he's easily top 10. I would say, I think that the, that's one of those things that you cannot. And I stress this as strongly as I can. You cannot force upon Brian Flores, anybody. I don't care who you have. If you have Vic Fangio as your defensive coordinator, you do not force him upon Brian Flores. You let him put together the staff that he deems correct. Not, you know, you can't. So I'm pretty sure they consulted with Brian Flores and they asked him, you know, what about Darren Rizzi? And he probably said, yeah, let him explore opportunities. And maybe he decides to come back. And if he decides to come back, yeah, we'll bring him back. And if it's for a little bit more money, we'll make it a little bit more money. But yeah, I really, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to like my first instincts are to, yeah, give him whatever he wants. He wants an extra 200,000 a year, give it to him and let's keep the, the last connection that we had to this, this little era that we had here. And a guy that a lot of players seem to really respect, but if Brian Flores wants him, great. If he doesn't want him, I'm with him too on that. All right. Simon, tell the people how they could bet Championship Sunday on Bet DSI. So, there are three games of the NFL season left. God, can you imagine three games? Um, but it's three of the most important games of the season. So, you can take your piece of knowledge to the bank with our friends at BetDSI.com. 20 years online, impeccable reputation, great service. That's literally all you need to know. And to help you get you started with some extra bang for your buck, they will offer you double your money on your first deposit. So you deposit now, start winning, and get up to $2,500 for free. Double your money from the get-go. And they've got everything you could ever imagine in every sport that you could imagine. The NFL, the NCAA, the Australian Open Tennis, the NBA, soccer, duck racing. I'm pretty sure they give you a line on that as well. Um, you can also bet on games whilst they're playing with their live betting. And if your team isn't doing well, watch 
before you play. There's a promo code. There's always a promo code. And our promo code is YARDS101. Get in the action and get paid using YARDS101. Stand on the sidelines. Enjoy the games that much more when you play with BetDSI.com. All right. So these two games, me and, and Simon, we had it pegged. We both have the Saints playing against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I believe Chris had the Chargers. They got bombed yeah. <laughs> by, by the Patriots. So Oops. I'll go to Chris first, okay? Rams, Saints, Saints are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Patriots, Chiefs, Chiefs are three-point favorites. Give me your picks in these two games. I think it's going to be the Rams and the Chiefs, and I think it's going to be a, a sort of a part two of what was probably the most interesting game of the season between uh, between the Rams and the Chiefs and that, that duel that they had, which had – you know, I, I want to say it was interesting because people want to say there was no defense because it was so hard, high, high scoring. But it was interesting to me because there was defense and there was yeah. like fighting back from the defense. They scored defensive touchdowns for crying out loud. Um, and there was a pile of turnovers and like 11 yeah. in the game. Yeah. I mean, they, they really, they were, it was bloody and, and messy and, and exciting and a really, really good game. And I'm, I'm hoping for that in the Super Bowl this time around. I, th- I do think, I think the Chiefs have more firepower than the Patriots can handle. I mean, I, I know that, you know, I'll probably regret those words, but that's, that's what I feel like. And I, as far as the Saints versus Rams, I, I just, I'm not sure why the Saints, like the Saints haven't looked, they've been, they've been squeaking by for months it seems like, especially on offense, they look a little bit snake bitten and they've been squeaking by somehow uh, on defense. And I don't think that defense plays against the Rams in the playoffs the way, you know, this way. So I I don't know. I, I just don't see the saints actually winning this and having the, the the sort of team overall team to do this uh, in, in this setting. So I don't don't know. That's my, that's my gut. Well, I'm not going to change my opinion. I said Saints, Chiefs before the playoffs started. Uh, I haven't changed my mind. Nothing's changed my mind of what's happened. Although I am not as confident as I used to be on the Saints after that performance against the Eagles. I did not think that the Philadelphia Eagles were all that great, even with Nick Foles, that quarterback who happens to turn into Joe Montana every time Mm -hmm. it turns into January. Simon, have you changed your mind? I'm going with the Chiefs. Although it's hard to bet against the Patriots, and I think the Patriots are really good. And as I said earlier, I think they're probably more well-rounded than the Chiefs. Uh, I think two players who could be huge at the weekend are Sammy Watkins and Damian Williams, bizarrely, because um, I think the Patriots will try and shut down uh, Tyreek Hill, much like they did with Marshall Falk a few years ago in the playoffs, doubled him. Uh, I think that's what they'll do. Devin McCourty being back is huge uh, in terms of that uh, in, in that respect. How will they cover Kelsey? Can they get pressure consistently on Pat Mahomes against a really good offensive line? I think that'll be really interesting. And then on the flip side, how Justin Houston looks like he's back to pretty much full fitness from that hamstring. So can what sort of pressure can Chris Jones, Justin Houston, and D Ford exert in terms of in terms of you know perimeter pressure getting to Tom Brady? I think that'll be key. And in the other game, I think it's a. I mean, I think they're both pick'em games really, and they're all rematches of. They're both rematches of really good games early in the season. I mean, the Saints were like 35-14 up against the Rams. The Rams came back to to tie the game. I, I think home field advantage will be absolutely crucial. The Superdome is the loudest stadium I think I've ever been in in my life. And it was incredibly noisy yesterday. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me to see the Saints eke it out over the, um, 
over the Rams. Although I do agree that the Saints have not quite looked the same team. But I think if you can get Alvin Kamara, I, and I think they've kind of gone away. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching the Adam Gase taco video. Oh, it's hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> it's hilarious. The moving taco is brilliant, isn't it? I'm glad I'm keeping you so. I mean, you know, you're just watching a you're just watching a floating taco instead of listening to me. Um, I do think getting the ball to Alvin Kamara is critical. Um, and I think that that's Rams secondary is not very good. And I think that Drew Brees will be able to take advantage of that. So I'm going Saints, Chiefs, although I, I just something in my head just says the Patriots going to win. But we shall yeah. see. Um, I'm with you. Uh, I haven't changed my mind. Although, like I said, I, I, confidence is not high on the Saints. Mm. That Ram team looked overwhelming, although it was at home. But they looked overwhelming against a very good Dallas Cowboys defense ran for 200 and almost 70 yards on them. Yeah, that was impressive. But I'm just going to stick to my guns. I'm going to stay Saints, Chiefs, and Drew Brees gets a second Super Bowl. Yeah, All right. right. That's yeah, it. There is no more. Hopefully the next time that we speak to you guys will be next week, and we'll have a introductory press conference maybe to talk about. For that to happen, the Patriots got to lose. So, yeah, it would be a good thing if that happened. All right, that's it. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to 3 Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.